Hello and welcome to After Office Hours with the Puget Sound Economic Forecaster. We launched this podcast with the thought that a lot happens after we publish the forecaster. Did we ever undersell that concept? We published the latest forecaster's quarterly newsletter last Friday, March 13th, with the unprecedented step of emailing it to all the subscribers for immediate use given the quickly evolving economic climate. By Sunday afternoon, we began planning for a revised forecast and this podcast. Today, we are also posting an updated forecast summary to the forecaster's website, as well as emailing it to all subscribers. Before diving into the current economic thoughts, let's see who's here today. My name is James McCafferty, and I serve as the general manager and publisher for the newsletter, but it is a team that makes the newsletter happen from outside partners and our center's own research staff. Today, we bring you quite a lineup of experts to share their insights. Dr. Annalise Vance Sherman, a consistent contributor to the forecaster, works with the Washington State Employment Security Department as regional economist. To say she has her finger on the pulse of the state's and region's employment data is an understatement, and we're always interested in her thoughts. Dr. Lori Troutman directs Western's Border Policy Research Institute. Her institute is one of two such institutes along the northern border. The volume of research coming from BPRI is amazing, and I encourage you to check out BPRI on the web. Dr. Hart Hadges is an economics professor at Western Washington University. Hart writes the regional forecast article and will occasionally contribute other articles based on the topics. Hart and I both co-direct the Center for Economic and Business Research at Western. Josh Grandbush is the lead research analyst at the Center, where among the long list of things he manages, the forecast model for the forecaster. Josh often contributes many of the articles in the forecaster, including the leading index analysis. As you can imagine, Josh has been quite busy lately. We are practicing good social distancing for this edition of After Office Hours, with not feet, but miles between us. So with all of that, grab your beverage of choice, you're likely in your own home after all, and let's take a look at what's happened since our publication a week ago. I have the March issue in front of me, Hart and Josh. What a difference a week makes. Can we talk about the latest revisions and models you're looking at, and how they might reflect what we are seeing now, and what may be coming? Well. One thing to remember is that we typically run the forecaster model based on the data that we get from from Blue Chip or the Bureau of Labor Statistics, Employment Security, and others. Uh, and then we talk about what might happen. We play what if uh, because we know data is always changing, uh, and we don't want to just try to put modified massage data into the model based on what we're thinking. We run the model, then talk about what if. But this time, uh, right, it, things are really, really different. The data is changing not just quickly but dramatically. So we are going to try to put different scenarios into the model uh, and, and see what we get. Um, I mean, it's, when, when you've got people talking about you know, dramatic millions of people uh, about to file for unemployment insurance and uh, different headlines that say, worst financial crisis since 1929 or are we headed for a depression, raises all sorts of questions, and, and it, it, it's really, really helpful to just pause and say, okay, if the economy slows this much, if spending in these sectors slows this much, what happens in the Puget Sound region? And that's really where we are right now. Uh, and I think what we're going to be talking about, uh, whether in this podcast or just as we look at those numbers, is the duration. Right? Lots of slowdowns at restaurants, certainly airports, planes, smaller medical clinics, and so on. 
And a key question about the impact of all of those closures and the, the drop in spending is how long does it last? Josh, you, know, you and I have been talking about what, what to put in the models, and we've, we've got a couple of different scenarios. One, uh, sharp drops, not long-lived. Another scenario is sharp drops, and they linger uh, well into the uh, summer and fall. And, and, and I think we're seeing you know, preliminary results playing with the model. Big changes depending on duration. Josh, I was taking a look uh, just a little bit ago at the revised forecast that we're, we're posting here in a couple hours, along with this podcast. Uh, talk to us about what you're seeing there. Yeah, so we tried to get that first scenario done as soon as possible. So we we built the the short-term recessionary scenario through Q3, and we, we kind of built that around what the national forecasts um, are saying as they've been coming out this past week and all the news coverage. Um, and so this involved lower inflation, uh, lower employment, especially um, for key industries in the Puget Sound, like aerospace, uh, lower personal income and industrial production. And so those are lower on the U.S. level. The model then takes that down to the Puget Sound level. So forecast is predictably a bit negative, um, but that's not the full story. Uh, the original forecast before all of this was was stronger than um, in December um, because of a strong close to 2019. So we were we had a solid footing. But after this scenario, um, well, retail sales look set to take the biggest hit in our new forecast, especially taxable retail sales. Um, and we're going to have a whole section on that in uh, later on in this podcast. Employment is definitely down. Um, we're looking at in our scenario, a job loss of about 26,400 jobs uh, in the region in Q2. After some gains later in the year and next year, we would still be down about 14,800 jobs compared to the original March forecast that we did. And that's by the end of 2021. And so the same logic is going to apply to personal income in our region, uh, which would be about 4.2 billion down in inflation adjusted terms uh, from the baseline by the end of 2021 in this scenario. And I should say this is just one scenario. We are running others. We're looking. Um, we're looking all over. We we're, we're both worried that this scenario is too negative and not negative enough. We just don't have enough information. So to that end, we're exploring a bunch of options um, for an extended recession, like Hart was talking about, slower recovery, so we can show our readers kind of what we're thinking about. So I've seen a number of comparables, I guess, where people are trying to think about how do they. How do they get their heads around this? And I see people talking about, well, this is going to be like 2008. I see other people tell me this is going to be like, you know, the, coming into the Great Depression in the 20s. I've heard people talk about, well, no, it looks more like the, the Spanish flu in the 1910s. Heart, recession, depression. What? How do I get my head, hands around this? Uh, well, I say recession, sure. You've just got too many closures, uh, too big of a drop in spending. Um, could it be worse? Uh, sure. But some of the major differences, when you look back to the Depression, we, we closed borders, or we didn't really close borders, we reduced trade from a longer-term policy perspective. We, we were strategically trying to change trade. Right now, we're just closing borders temporarily to reduce the, slow, uh, the, the push of the virus. Um, people want to get back to work. The demand is there. Uh, I, I think uh, one thing to watch is the availability of testing. If people can get a test and they can know where they, they stand with respect to the virus um, and get quick results, that's a game changer and lets us get a lot of things back on track sooner. Um, so I, I, know the, I know the dire numbers that pe some people are throwing out there. I'm not as pessimistic. 
uh, I'm going to say yes to uh, recession. I'm going to say yes to major disruption, but uh, it doesn't have to to linger as as long, given the amount of money that's being thrown at it, uh, and the fact that I can take a loan out uh, and and continue to pay my workers, uh, and that loan is either to be forgiven or uh, is deductible over time. Uh, there's there's just a lot of stimulus money, a lot of work by the Federal Reserve to dampen the effects. So it does not have to be worse than uh, a, a sharp drop in a recession as we figure out how to work with distancing uh, as long as it lasts. So you're thinking sharp V-shaped kind of form here rather than the, the not, hockey uh, stick that we might have the seen. Left side, left side of the V, I'm confident. It's a sharp drop. I'm not so confident that it's a sharp recovery um, because there's just too much unknown about how long it lingers. Um, and I don't know how long. I mean, it's a V-shaped recovery if you get a lot of testing quickly so people can get back on planes or back in restaurants quickly, uh, preferably those who have tested negative, by the way. Uh, <laughs> if that testing's not there and the distancing and the stay-at-home lasts a lot longer, then I don't think V. I'm thinking more of a – what's the letter that's in between a V and an L? A hockey stick. Or backwards hell. Uh, no, I, I, I just think that it's going to take some time coming coming out. Um, and it also depends on whether you're talking to somebody thinking about the stock market or the job market. Talk to me about a minute about the difference there. Well, first of all, the stock market's going to be a lot, a lot more forward-looking. And it's going to say, well, six, eight months from now, I think Apple's earnings will be fine. Or I think uh, a, a year from now... Uh, Southwest or Alaska Airlines is going to be doing fine. And that's what I'm buying is their future earnings. Stock market looking that way, uh, we, we do have some companies uh, that are possibly going to go out of business, and there's sort of a, a, a culling. Uh, we had some stress in the energy market for sure uh, with oil prices where they are. So I'm not talking about every company, but switching to the economy. Well, you know, I've, I've had to lay off of a lot of workers. Am I going to bring them back? Uh, it, it's just, that's a, a more nuanced conversation, and it doesn't necessarily happen right away. I'll bring back the workers when when the, when I actually see the demand for my product. Might I make other changes in the in the meantime? The the economy has more parts anchored in the present. The financial markets are more forward looking and are focused on earnings. If I can be that sort of gross at the moment. So last time in our podcast, we talked about should we be concerned about federal debt. And we kind of left that in a place where not really at this point. We're talking about letting people t file their taxes late uh, in July. We're, and those are going to be the people that are paying taxes. The people that are getting refunds are going to be filing them now, of course. Uh, we've talked about uh, some sort of mortgage relief. We're doing some sort of uh, cash to taxpayers back. And right now the proposals range between 1000 and $2,000 per person um, in potentially more than one round of those. Credit card companies are talking about doing a, a, a forgiveness-type program as well. Hart, do I need to start worrying about uh, overall debt and how debt's being managed in the country at this point? I, maybe a key theme here is, uh, our key question is, what's your timeline? All right, because we're asking how quickly can we get testing? How quickly can uh, we get used to a routine? Uh, now you're asking, when do I need to worry about debt? Uh, I think a fascinating bit here is, the sort of political revolution that's been happening on, on the right. Uh, we used to think that the conservative side of things were a lot more uh, 
concerned about debt, interested in small government. We've got the Senate now looking at uh, legislation that'll top a trillion dollars. Um, I think in an election year, um, none of the candidates, neither party is going to say, no, don't spend uh, in, under the circumstances. So I think debt goes, goes up. Uh, Federal Reserve balance sheet goes up. So if you look forward, yeah, I think that's a real problem. Uh, how do you how do you have higher interest rates in the future, given the amount of debt that we've that we're we're adding right now? Uh, it changes the future. You know, debt service and all the issues around debt are are building. We're we're putting things off. It's it's going to be challenging later. All right. So our region depends a lot on trade. Uh, being a, a border state, being uh, on, a, on a saltwater port, a lot of trade comes through in and out of, of our state and a lot of our businesses and a major piece of our economy had relates to trade. Lori, the headlines of later screaming about borders closing all over the world with the expected anecdotes. You, Hart, and I spent some time talking with the Seattle Times this week and had a couple of quotes in the published article, but there was a lot left on the table from that conversation. Let's unpack current events on our northern border. I would think we may experience more impact here in Whatcom County than say they, they would in King County, but you could convince me otherwise. Start with telling me if the border is really closed. Okay, so the state of the border, which is, as we all know, changing by the minute and the hour, but the border is not closed. I think we need to remember that a lot of headlines are flashing these points of the U.S.-Canada border closing, but that is not the case, and that is not, at least right now, part of the plan. Um, both Trudeau and Trump have made it very clear that the border will stay open to all trade, and that includes truck drivers that may be temporary foreign workers, not U.S. or Canadian citizens. They will still be allowed to cross back and forth if they are transporting cargo. Now, the sort of sticky point here is that there's this term non-essential traffic. So the border will be closed to all non-essential traffic outside of trade and cargo movements. And the Government of Canada and Department of Homeland Security are right now publishing the guidelines about what that means. And that ban is going to go into effect uh, right now until April 20th. So it's a one-month ban that will start this evening, um, Friday night. Uh, we have seen some guidance already from the Department of Homeland Security. Some workers that we know will be able to go back and forth are termed essential critical infrastructure workers. Uh, these are things that you would guess like emergency services, communications, but then there's some fuzzy areas like food and agriculture and finance. And so one of the big concerns right now is how those border officers will define non-essential travel. And we all know that at the border, there's a lot of discretionary authority. This is completely unprecedented ground for these border officers. So, you know, we can only hope that there will be enough guidance and enough sort of last minute training that those people deemed um, essential will be able to move back and forth. And we know here in Whatcom County, we have a number of businesses that operate in that cross-border sort of world. We have companies like Nature's Path in Blaine that's owned by Canadians. And, and will those people, business owners themselves, be able to go back and forth? Um, that remains to be seen. But I do think so far that the guidance is going to be um, actually more liberal than conservative in terms of people that need to get back and forth. How do you see this uh, impacting from a county, if we look around the state, the different counties, will it uh, impact the counties very differently or do you think it'll be pretty spread out, uh, distributed anyway, evenly? 
Yeah, so I'll start by saying kind of what we know about the relationship between the Canadian border and Whatcom County. We know that in 2018, there was over 14 million trips made into the United States through the ports of Blaine, Linden, and Sumas. We also have Point Roberts, which is technically in Whatcom County. And for those of you who aren't familiar with Point Roberts, it's this very interesting situation where it's a tiny piece of U.S. land that's south of the 49th parallel, but attached to the Canadian mainland. So if you live in Point Roberts, and you need to go to the hospital here in Bellingham, you have to cross the border twice. You have to enter into Canada and enter back into the United States. And then, of course, to get home, you're crossing the border twice again. So that's a unique situation, but there's a lot of concern about what will happen with those people because they're so isolated. We also know um, kind of who's crossing our border. We know that Canadians comprise about 75% of all cross-border travelers. And we know kind of what they're doing. We know that 23% of Canadians crossed our border here into Whatcom County just to shop. We know that 18% of them crossed to purchase gas. And that 11% of people who were crossing the border who made those 14 million trips were crossing just, or not just, but primarily to pick up mail. So there's an entire kind of mail pickup industry, particularly in Blaine, Linden, and also Sumas, where Canadians can have P.O. boxes, order things from Amazon um, that have free delivery or, or other suppliers, drive south of the border, pick up those mail order packages, bring them back to Canada. And um, that's very beneficial for them for a number of reasons, both um, lower cost and also um, access to a wider variety of, of products in the United States. We also know where a lot of those Canadians are going when they enter Whatcom County. So this is what's really, I think, important and what's going to impact Whatcom County different from other areas of the state is that 42% of Canadians who cross into our border make very short, frequent trips to locations that are very close to the border. And they're going to places like Blaine and Linden and Sumas. And we have to remember these are pretty small economies, places that are pretty dependent on this sort of I would say disproportionately dependent on these Canadians who are coming either to fill up on gas or to pick up their mail order purchases. And then Bellingham also, um, you know, it's going to be really hard to disentangle the border effect because so many of these retail places are closing. But we know that Canadians sometimes comprise as much as 50% of the shoppers at some of our retail locations in Bellingham. So I think when we look at impacts, you know, as Hart was saying earlier, a lot of the impacts are going to depend on the duration of this thing. Um, Retail and tourism is going to be hit everywhere globally, right? But here in Whatcom County, I I think we might experience potentially not only a double whammy because of our disproportionate reliance on Canadians, but also potentially a longer term impact, um, particularly on these smaller border economies, because if these restrictions continue, and then this is, you know, a big if nobody really knows how long they're going to close, we might see a lag in people coming back across the border to shop. Um, right now, even with the Canadian dollar being fairly weak, people are still in that habit of crossing the border on Saturday and going to Costco and, and loading up on their groceries. And if this is in effect for a while, they may start to change those habits, and it might take longer for them to to start re-engaging and crossing the border. And I I wanna make one final point in that many of the people who cross our border here, you have to remember each region along the Canada-US border is different in terms of those cross-border flows. 
But many of the people in our region, they cross very frequently. They have nexus cards. The border to them is really no big deal. Those people, I think, will come right back to their their same old shopping and spending habits after these restrictions are limited or lifted. But there's also a lot of people who are still very intimidated by the border, um, especially you know people who are not necessarily Canadian born. They may be third country nationals. Um, they may be permanent residents, but they're still um, have a difficult time thinking about crossing the border, particularly into the United States in the last couple of years. Those people are likely to drop off completely. So I do think we're going to see long-term impacts from these border restrictions. And Laurie, yeah. I mean, a couple of, when people start talking about the border, two of the things that are often, in, in my mind, uh, either exaggerated or missed, one is um, the data. People say, oh, this many businesses in, uh, in the U.S. and Washington are owned by Canadians, or this many people in lower mainland B.C. work. Uh, there's a lot of a lot of anecdotes and, and data that's not available to you. Isn't that correct? That would make yeah, the, the data on how many people work in Whatcom County, for example, from Canada is very limited. I know, you know, at Western, there's a number of faculty members and some staff that commute down from Canada. But that's almost anecdotal in nature. Um, right. We no, know from no. studies we've done it asking people who cross the border that the number of people commuting is actually fairly low in our region as compared to, say, a Detroit Windsor, where you have a lot of people crossing back and forth for work. And I guess in, in, on your comments about the effects could be lingering, um, that might be exacerbated by uh, the exchange rate because the Canadian dollar is getting has gotten weaker relative to the U.S. dollar lately. Isn't is, that plays in, doesn't it? Yeah, that's a great point. I was just on a call this morning with um, the premier of Alberta, or not the premier, one of the ministers, and um, they were talking about the continual decline in oil prices. And I think it's like, it's incredibly low right now. And so that's really concerning to the Canadian economy because the price of these natural commodities has a huge impact on the health of their dollar. So that's a good point. Hart, in the Seattle Times article, you mentioned that Bellingham Costco sells a lot of milk. I'm pretty sure they, they sell. I'm pretty sure they sell a lot more than just milk in large volumes. So I've been thinking about retail sales in general. As we wrap up Q1 this month, several things come to mind. A very active shopping buying by consumers, especially toilet paper, evidently, would seemingly stock the toilet paper. Perfect. So that would seemingly make me think that overall sales are expanding this this in the quarter at the same time though many retail businesses like restaurants and barber shops are closing or drastically changing their business models i saw home depot is now going to close at 6 p.m for example that would seemingly make me think that overall sales would lower so judging by the incredible lack of commuter traffic i'm seeing on the freeway every day i, I it's amazing i5 is is clearer at rush hour now than i've ever seen it it's evident that people are staying out of the marketplace in general, but maybe increasing activity in discrete shopping locations, i.e. Amazon or, or just their grocery stores. Josh, what are your thoughts on the next several quarters of retail sales and how much does that impact the forecast? Yeah, so uh, first things first, I definitely expect the savings rate to tick up. Um, plenty of Americans who are just laid off are having to skim by on unemployment benefits. Um, I know a couple, um, you know, the government's working out exactly what they're going to do with the cash transfers and all that. Um, but even with those, we're expecting money to be tight. So I think the savings rate is going to tick up. Um, 
extra spending now is a temporary thing. Um, the panic buying and all that. I think we're going to see that subside once people get used to uh, sheltering in place and whatnot. Um, but also the closures are temporary. You know, we talked about this earlier. Hart mentioned it quite a bit. Um, we might have a V-shaped recovery. We might have in closer to an L-shaped recovery. Um, we're not sure. We're definitely earlier in the modeling on retail sales, um, but we expect a lot of spending to shift from restaurants and bars as they close or change business models to grocery stores. And we're already seeing um, food, su the supply chain uh, to restaurants shifting now to grocery stores um, to pick up that slack. So transportation spending and non-store retailers are going to expand like crazy. Um, you don't have to look any farther than Amazon hiring 100,000 workers to meet demand. Um, that's an insane number. Uh, healthcare spending is complicated. Hart, I know you've mentioned hospital spending going up, but smaller clinics getting hammered, um, and that's just an evolving situation. As far as what our modeling has told us so far, uh, auto sales, building materials, and gasoline are all going to take a big hit from this, um, gasoline especially with the demand hit. Um, and we'll see if that changes at all as we dial the model in more. Well, and, and Josh, some of that hit is Q2 or Q3, right? Because yes. I mean, one of the things that's hard about this, and it gets back to the topic at the start of the podcast, the data for Q1, James, in retail might be down a little, but January and February, and even in a lot of the U.S., at the beginning of, the beginning of March, people were trying to live life as, as normal. So we've, all, this, uh, all these adjustments it, are late in the quarter. And so we have to... And that's why we're running scenarios saying, well, what if what exactly. is in these sectors falls off a cliff? Um, and we're trying – some of the data that we're going to get for Q1 is going to look rather normal by historic standards. And that's what we're having to change to try to uh, anticipate what's happening at the very end of Q1 and the beginning of Q2. We've, uh, Hart, we've, and Josh, we've looked at multipliers, and if we move spending from one area to another, the multipliers are different. And we've had several people email us with questions. We had a reporter yesterday ask us about multipliers. In some cases, correct me if I'm wrong, but in some cases, what we're going to see is a shift in spending from areas like restaurants, which have a fairly low multiplier, to areas that have a higher multiplier, such as medical or, or other areas. And so that may blunt some of the total economic impact. And again, Hart, this is separating market from economic. Well, you mentioned multipliers. One of the things to, to remember, we always uh, have people calling us and saying, hey, if, if I uh, expand my business, uh, what's the overall economic impact? And, and you know, they, they want uh, a press release. But, you know, it's just math is transitive. So you can add or you can subtract. The multipliers work in the same way. If I take a job out of retail or out of uh, professional business services, I'm going to be affecting other jobs. Those ripple effects, whether we're talking positive or negative, uh, you know, the same, it's the same math. And I don't think, Joe, that what we're taking out of some sectors is going to be more than made up for uh, by additions in others. So, yeah, we, we're, going to, we're going to take spending out of low multiplier industries like uh, restaurants, and we might have some additional spending at hospitals with higher multipliers. But I, I think the magnitude of the drop is bigger, uh, is so much bigger than the magnitude of the 
uh, increase in other areas that we're still looking at a at a net negative. Interesting. All right, Annalise, let's get to the potentially the largest elephant in the room. The most obvious shift in the past few weeks has been employment. I have an article from the New York Times from yesterday showing a significant spike in unemployment claims. I have articles today saying to expect a two million plus uh, in the report for next week as we as we get all that data assembled together. Um, only some of the states have reported so far, and we're seeing a pretty significant spike. I've seen information from our own state. There's been a surge in the use of our state's various programs to help employees and employers, such as shared work, not to mention the web traffic to the UI website. Can you share some thoughts about what's going on and if you see this as a short-term or a long-term issue? Okay, well, absolutely. I think just to put some numbers to that, um, the national report uh, saw in about 281,000 initial claims filed, and that's a 70,000 increase in claims from the previous month. So a really sharp spike, certainly exacerbated by government-imposed shutdowns, so a much swifter effect. Uh, we would usually expect to see a little bit more of a trickle of these job decreases, but as soon as there's a requirement to shut down whole industries, um, that ends up with a very swift action. Um, we see the unemployment insurance inquiries rolling in, and certainly, um, as you mentioned, a lot of businesses and individuals looking to the social safety net to see what, uh, you know, where they might be able to uh, receive some help. Um, Washington State, of course, leading that. Um, according to the Department of Labor, Washington State was among the five uh, largest increases in unemployment insurance inquiries and those initial claims um, over the previous week nationwide and you know when we're just looking at who the other states are we're talking about california texas uh, and washington coming in at number three so number three but our peers in this case are two of the largest states so that really speaks to the magnitude i think another thing that we need to be watching um, in washington state we're used to entering into recession a little bit after the rest of the country. We've got a little bit of a, a buffer, a chance to see what's coming at us before we enter into recession. And this time is a little bit different for us. This time we are the location where uh, the first claims were observed, or not the first claims, the first um, incidences of COVID-19 were observed and where we're seeing the largest numbers of impacts. So we are in this unique situation of needing to ramp up our resources very quickly and we've got the rest of the country watching us. Um, everybody else is lagging this time around. So it puts us in a bit of a different situation. Um, certainly we're watching really closely, but one of the challenges right now, especially in moments like this, and the reason we're watching unemployment insurance claims so quickly is that this is a weekly, um, this is published weekly. And a lot of the data sources that we rely on to really tell us what's going on in the economy are a bit more lagged behind. Uh, we can watch for the Washington State employment numbers for March will be published on April 15th. But until then, we really don't have any data to tell us what has happened in the last month. 
So we are watching really closely those unemployment insurance claims, partially because it's one of the only data sources we've got, um, relying a lot on what we're hearing from the news and the informal, real-time labor market information that we can glean from the media um, and from other resources such as traffic counts from the Department of Transportation. So right now we're having to get a little bit creative in terms of figuring out how to quantify this. As far as whether this is going to be long-term or short-term, uh, tough to say at this point. I guess that really depends on how effective these shelter-in-place types of measures are going to be. Um, but certainly, um, you know, no question, we've got a very swift uh, downturn. And at least the, the numbers, the, the sharp increase in unemployment claims that you mentioned last, that came in last week, that was actually before a lot of closures in some of the bigger cities, uh, especially in the East Coast. Um, are you expecting sort of a, a wave of that, or some? It's really uh, what we're seeing with, with with regard to how this is the rules that are being made around this, um, and the different types of executive orders that are coming in. It really is state by state. Um, different geographies responding differently. Different governors responding differently. So. We are at the very first week, um, and I can't emphasize that enough. We don't have much data to go by. We don't have anything resembling a time series yet. At this moment, we have a data point. And so we're putting every, you know, we're really putting a lot of importance on that single data point. Um, we'll understand a lot more as data comes in. Um, but right now, we are operating with a lot of unknowns. Um, I think one of the other things to keep in mind geographically, um, different geographies will be impacted differently, both in terms of how their governance is handled during this time period, but also in terms of what their industry structure is. So in Washington State, uh, if we just really quick back the napkin, um, you know, look at what industries are impacted, we know that accommodation and food services, our restaurants, our bars, and our hotels, are being quickly affected. When we just look really quickly at how many jobs that is, uh, last year we had about uh, 283,000 jobs in Washington State in that sector alone. Of course, that's not the only sector being impacted, but that's about 8% of the jobs statewide. So, you know, when we think about how different regions are going to be impacted, one of the things to consider is just which, where are the concentrations of different industries? That's interesting, Annalise. I, uh, I think people need the perspective to really think about how employment's going to change around them as part of this. And, and the long-term versus short-term question, I think, is a question we're all pondering and there's no good answers for. So appreciate the insight. Josh, we create monthly updates, which are available to our online subscribers. Can you share anything that we're looking forward to in the next set of updates? I don't know if looking forward to is the best thing, but, you know, uh, current economic indicators and our monthly index uh, have been delayed slightly this month, so we could get out these extra scenarios around coronavirus and this podcast. Um, but I expect them to tell quite an interesting story that's not quite aligned with what we're seeing, and that's because of the delays on data, which is, you know, Annalise was just touching on. We're only working with a couple data points at this point. Um, however, it is interesting. Our monthly leading index was looking much more negative last time when we changed out our Boeing backlog forecast um, based on information the company provided. So perhaps it was more prescient than we thought, um, although not for the right reasons. 
Uh, we are going to be offering more details on our coronavirus scenarios through those monthly online updates. Um, they may already be up by the time you get to listen to this podcast. So um, expect to see those soon. Perfect. Well, that brings us to a close to this edition of After Office Hours with the Puget Sound Economic Forecaster. I want to thank Annalise Van Sherman and Laurie Trapman for joining us today. We appreciate both of their opinions and their vast knowledge in their areas. While we had only planned on doing these quarterly, we may create additional sessions as conditions change. You can always reach us via our website, cebr.ww.edu, or by email, cebr at ww.edu, with questions, comments, or if you're interested in having us speak at an event at some time when we're allowed to be in public again. From all of us at Western Washington University, have a great day.